Welcome Manny Fernandez, all the way from Dallas. Thank you, brother. <laughs> it is a great blessing, and uh, I do feel, because you guys are such a warm group, um, I do feel like it is a homecoming of sorts, you know, to uh, come over here because of the family feel to the church, and obviously, you know, who can feel like he can hide anything from uh, uh, Dr. Phil here, you know. Uh, it is true that <clears throat> I thought, because he always talks about how much he loves the Lord and preach his word, that uh, we would do well to get him preaching over there in Cuba. And uh, after about the 15th time, he said, you know, don't feel like I really need this. You know, I, I get a lot of the practice at home. You go ahead and preach a few times yourself. So I knew we were getting through to him. So, but uh, it, it really was a blessing. I'll tell you, there are so many fantastic things that are happening all over the place. I have uh, begun this year on January 2nd, and I haven't stopped. I have not stopped. I've been going every day, every weekend, and uh, different weeks. I have um, uh, started by teaching an intensive semester in a week at uh, Criswell College on apologetics, uh, you know, the defense of the Christian faith and so on. And then uh, from that, I had uh, a weekend where I had to be at one of the churches that we're planting in Dallas now, and then we're planting another one in Fort Worth as well. And uh, immediately after that, I took an airplane and went over to Spain and um, taught an intensive course there on uh, historical theology. And then uh, after the first week of teaching that, I went over to Barcelona and preached in one church uh, on Saturday and Sunday, and then I went back to, uh, to teach the rest of the, uh, the other week, and then I had to fly back to Barcelona to do another church in another situation, and then met a guy who was coming to see about getting radio stations, uh, you know, trying to wire Spain and Europe for the sound of the gospel, which is a wonderful vision. So we were very excited about all of this stuff that is happening. So finally, I flew back from that and uh, got busy at home again and uh, had to go and preach at the church that we're starting over there. And uh, then I took a plane and went to Cuba and uh, have been in Cuba for about 10 days and uh, then after that, I got home, and two, uh, two days later, I came out here. And then when I get back on Wednesday night, I just have to get up at 7 in the morning to teach a men's Bible study and catch an airplane to Manila, the Philippines, so we can teach our China team that is coming out of Wangzhou, China, so that we can get them ready because we're launching 100 church plants over there. By the way, in Cuba, we launched another 100 church plants this time that I was there. And it is a sensational thing what is happening in, in all these fields, you know. And quite frankly, I am, you know, I am excited about all that is going on. I know we need the Word of God to never lose track of why we do the things that we do. And so I want to share with you guys a little bit... Um, you see, there are so many passages that are 
very, very useful for this. But I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 5, and I don't know, uh, you know, it sounds so familiar to me, so I hope I haven't shared it. If I do, I have only about 5,700 others that we can get into. But <clears throat> Isaiah 5, if you remember, you know, and then things begin to run in symphony in the scriptures when we think about it. But take a look at Isaiah 5, and it says, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. This is still verse 1. My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done for it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? So now let me tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it will be consumed. I will break down its wall, and it will become trampled ground. I will lay it waste. It will not be pruned or hoed, but briars and thorns will come up. I will also charge the clouds no rain, uh, to rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his delightful plant. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, a cry of distress. Now, you know, this is a song. It says it is a song. And uh, when I think about this, and for us to get into a frame of mind to understand what is happening here, you need to think of country music. You know, country music tells a story. You know, they had a, a lot of billboards around Dallas-Fort Worth a while back. And it said that country music tells a story. And then it will tell you just the title of one. I gave her my heart, and she stomped that sucker flat. <laughs> and that, that told everything right up front. You know, and then uh, on another one, it said, I have tears in my ears lying on my bed, crying my eyes my eyes out over you. So, you know, you, you get very graphic, you know, tears in your ears, lying on your bed. You know, they have nowhere to go but into your ears. You know, disappointment with love. You know, there, you know, she broke my heart in three places, Chicago, Seattle, and New York. <laughs> and so, it, it, you get pretty ex you know, explicit. Well, you know, the, from time immemorial, people have talked about this. And, you know, talked about disappointment in love. Well, God has written a song right here. And it is about a people that he bought for himself. He paid a great price. He redeemed. And he had great expectations. But there was great disappointment. Because they were really not catching on to what it was that he had in mind for them to be doing. Now, my beloved family, 
you know, now that we are together in this, you know, because we're going to be planting churches together and continuing to do this, let's, let us not miss that boat. Let us not be the ones that don't get it. You know, let us be the type that really gets in tune with what it is that God is doing and how we can best join him in the things that he is doing. You know, it tells beautifully that God had this grand experiment in mind. You know, he goes up on a mountainside in Israel, you know, and he picks out a beautiful piece of land terraced into the mountain. He couldn't bring oxen up there because you cannot really go up that steep terrain and then begin to plow and so on. So he had to do everything by hand. The piece of land that he, he carved out of the mountain is, is described in Hebrew as Ben Shemin, you know, son of fatness, fat land, the fat of the land, we say. You know, and that is exactly where he wanted to put it. And he brought a special vine out of Egypt that is his people that he had let go into Egypt. Now he brings them back and he calls them Sorek, which is a special type of vine. Now we're surrounded here by wine country. So it is really important for us to get it that this is an art form. You know, there are guys that get masters in this sort of thing. And we of all people need to latch on to a story like this and understand how God is developing in, you know, wine culture land what he had in mind. This is a very delicate experiment, but he spared no expense. He got down on his knees. The imagery is that he was crawling around, taking out the stones casting them out of there so that they would not obstruct the vineyard. And those stones were the Canaanite peoples that had been there. He threw them out because he had this special place for his people. And then he put a wall around it, and the wall is symbolic of Jerusalem. And then he put a wine press for the crush in the middle of it, and that was the temple. And then he expected, everything is set. Let's have a life. Let's have a party. Let's have a harvest. Let's let the joy begin. And it never got going. Huge disappointment. He went to look, and he said, I got sour grapes. He could, you could write a song, a country song, about that. You know, but I'll tell you what, we're not too late God is writing a song about the ballad of Valley Bible. (laughs) And he would like to write victory and glory into it. And he would want for us to be victorious and filled with joy and filled with fruit in the middle of all of this. You see, but what happened with Project Israel back then Total disappointment. He says, why, when I did all this, you judge between me and my vineyard, what more could I have done? It's not innocent troubleshooting like you call Neil Sperry, you know, the 
horticulturist to tell you, you know, I'm puzzled by this thing. I don't know what it's doing because it, I, I've done so many things for it, and uh, it's just not doing what it's supposed to. No, no. Basically, he's saying there are no defensible grounds for the results that I'm getting when I have done so much for my vineyard. You know, it's like Kenny Rogers singing, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. I mean, he, he's not really saying that it is a fine time. He's saying it's the worst possible time. I got a crop in the field. I got 400 kids and a crop in the field. You know, sure, we had bad times. You know, sure, you know, we have tough times. But this time, the hurting won't heal. You picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. <laughs> See how Kenny plays out here? It's really, really important to know, you know, that our life is in the mirror of God's Word. And so, you know, to me, it is a joyous thing. But I want to tell you about some of the friends, because Pastor uh, Phil told me last time, you know, I get into the Word with, with these guys and so on, but you've been in so many contexts. We really want to hear... You know, what's happening out there? Tell us, because, you know, you're seeing what the Lord is doing and so on. He was absolutely right. I shared a story, you know, following in the next service. And boy, oh boy, the people really tuned in with that. You might have been there. I told the story of Norma. You see, to me, and I'm watching the water, you know, I don't want to make anybody nervous. Uh, But if I disappear over there, just say hallelujah, you know, I'll be baptized again. You know, but, uh, you know, the, the thing that happens is Norma is the lady. I'll recap that story to tell you the rest of the story. But, you know, Norma was a lady that uh, it was planting nine churches. You know, she was not pastoring them because she believes the scriptures that, you know, the woman should not be the pastor. You know, she can do many great, wonderful ministries, and she should and most of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ on planet earth is made up of women. You know, 65%. So, you know, you got to preach the whole council. So we need women to train and preach to women and do all kinds of wonderful ministries. Well, Norma was planting nine churches. But she had, she had to hitchhike from Havana out to where these churches were that she was planting about 30 miles out. And, and you get on whatever there is to get on. Now we have witnesses in the crowd. You know, uh, uh, Dr. Phil has been over there and he has seen people are hitchhiking at all hours of the day or night. You know, mothers with children who are sick, they need to get to a doctor. Three in the morning, you know, on their bridge so that if it rains, they don't get wet. You know, trying to get a ride. It's a very heartbreaking thing. Well, this time the dump truck stopped and she had to crawl over the side of the thing. A woman who was 40 years old you know, up on the side of the thing to get into the truck. When she got in there, it is filled with men, and she, she hadn't seen that because that would be a very dangerous situation. She could get gang-raped by these guys. No sooner had she gotten in, somebody reaches from behind and touches her, and she turned to confront him, and then somebody else from behind touches her, and she realizes she's in a very horrible predicament, and instead of slapping and starting to scream at them or something, she starts preaching the gospel. And, you know, she said, it is because, you know, Jesus suffered on a cross for you that I'm suffering the indignities you do to me today. It is because, you know, 
he doesn't want to see you suffer in hell, that I'm suffering the indignities you do to me today. It is because, and then the third because, every one of the guys wanted off the truck. <laughs> well, I told a story exactly like that to Frank Harrison in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he said, Manny, can I go to Cuba? So we arranged for him and his family to come, and they wanted to come and meet Norma. And they wanted to give her either a car or a motorcycle. The whole thing got together. You know, we get together in a special room in this church, and then they want to hear the testimony. So she tells them exactly what I've told you. She's apologizing. I don't know what came over me, this or that. Everybody's, you know, just loving it. Go, Norma, you know. But, but she's just a little bit embarrassed. And then the moment of truth comes. He had told me, don't tell her what I'm going to do. I want her to be the one to tell me. And so he says, Norma, how can I bless your ministry? You know, so that you don't have to worry about going from here to there to anywhere and so on. And she can't think. She's embarrassed to be in front of these people. And she looks to me like, you know, can you give me a little hand here? I can't, you know, because I've been sworn to secrecy. And uh, I said, just tell him whatever is on your heart. And she, that's when she said, you know, a flashlight. To me, it was sad. She couldn't even begin to learn how to ask. Her non-materialistic mind wasn't clicking right. And so I asked the last time I was here, you know, how many of you guys have a flashlight? Could I see your hands? And everybody has a flashlight. So California is okay. Because we're going to get out there. I mean, we have a Bible, and we have a flashlight. And she says, with a Bible and a flashlight, I can take those nine towns for Christ. What? You have a car, too? whole state is going to get covered in. With a car and a Bible, how many, how many churches are you planting? I don't want to lead you on a guilt trip. But ask yourself, my brother and sister. You see, my beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill in Hercules, California. And he dug it all around and cast out the stones. And he put a wall around it. And he has promised to provide and to protect and to bless, and to lead you in victory through the storms of life, and to do so many things for you, and how do we answer that love? You see? I, sincerely, I'm not, I'm not trying to do this, because I don't, you know, it would be a manipulative thing to lead you into a guilt trip, but, but in the mirror of God's word, we need to find ourselves and we need to know that what his expectation is is more than a spectator type of Christianity where we will measure the 
worth of our church or our Christian experience by the, by the beauty of the songs that we get to worship with or by the, you know, okayness or not so okayness of the preaching that we hear that Sunday or any number of things, but by the quality of the fruit flowing out of our lives. And that is what the beloved wants. That's how he wants the song to play out. You know, the, the thing about it is, I have so many wonderful brothers. You know, I was hearing the story of a seminary here in California, way down in the south. Don't worry about it. It's not around here. There are only good ones around here. But down there, you know, when I'm down there, I said, ooh, the north. You know, I said, no, no. Uh, you know, I don't know anybody down there. But at any rate, look at what happens. You know, a guy was telling me, the horrible experiences he was having at this seminary over there. And he told me, you know, that this guy was trying to hit up on his wife at the seminary. And, uh, you know, that he got so mad at him that he went to confront him, ground by the, by the, by the shirt and told him that he was going to wipe him out if he didn't behave and this and that. And, and he said, but you know that the Lord used that, he told me, because... Now we're great friends. <laughs> and they had been telling about the stories of their friends. And I was just a little sick about those friends. And I said, let me tell you about my friends. I said, I have a friend in Cuba. He gets up at 5 o'clock every morning. By 5.30, he has had his devotions. And by 6, he begins to chop grass to feed horses. By 1 p.m., he has cut all the grass those horses are going to eat for the day. And he goes home and takes a shower and puts on fresh clothes, eats his lunch, and from about 2.30 until 9 p.m., he is a pastor at his own expense. He doesn't get one dime, and he's planting four churches. He's my friend, and God is his God. He's not ashamed to be called his God. And another friend that I have, he sells ice cream. His wife makes up the ice cream in the afternoons. It freezes overnight. And then in the morning, he takes it to the schools, to the kids' schools, and sells it. By n noon, when the kids come out of school, he sold it all. Now his wife is going to make another batch. He goes home, takes a shower, eats his lunch. He's a pastor at his own expense, planting three churches. And another guy is a shoe cobbler. And I could go on telling you about all these guys. And they're my friends. And God is their God, and he's not ashamed to be called their God. They say in their Christianity, in their love story with this God, that it doesn't take any money to be obedient. Weird people, huh? My beloved brothers and sisters and family 
You see what's going on? There's a guy. Have you heard of the book Radical? It's going all over the place. And the purpose is not to say anything negative about it, but just compare, just compare Radical, okay, with the context. David Platt, who wrote Radical, came with me to Cuba. And we went around, and he preached, I translated, and except for a couple of times, or one time, that they didn't want to preach because it was a pretty rough environment, and they didn't know exactly, they had never been in a situation like that. So they said, why don't you go ahead? So I preached that time. But, um, you know, he went to one of our, our churches. Our biggest work has 1,200. Well, actually, I, they just got revised. I've been saying that for so long. But they just told me they have 1,500 members, and they have 200 daughter churches in the town of Artemisa. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with this. They say, oh, you know, you're talking about cell groups, aren't you? Like house churches, 15, 20 people? No. I'm talking about house churches like last week with Jorge Granda, 29-year-old pastor, my friend. We had dinner together. It was a power dinner. You should have been there. Jorge Granda had five services on Sunday. The entire auditorium is smaller than this wedge of the auditorium here. But he had 200 people in it five times that Sunday. And there's no sound system. So he has to shout to be heard, and the people get all excited, so he ends up with no voice at the end of every Sunday. And he came up with this bright idea, folks... You know, there, there are just too many. I mean, a lot of pe- people here are from the district of Playa. So, you know, people from Playa, how many are you? You know, will you please stand up? 262 of you. Okay, Playa, we're going to find your place, and you're going to have a church in Playa, okay? And then anybody else here from this district? 165 people, another district. So we're going to send you. You're going to be a church there. We are one family. You're not leaving us. We're together, but you're going to meet over there because we don't have room. And these other 262 are going to meet over in another place, and over here 65, and over here 55. And so we'll have four churches, or one church, four campuses, okay? We're, we're one family. So now they have all of these churches out there. So next Sunday, he had all this room. He thought, the Lord just filled it up again. So now... <laughs> We're going to have to get him a microphone. <laughs> you know what? A group from Fort Worth was with me over there. And they were so moved because I didn't know that. But I just found out when I was with this group from Fort Worth over there, McKinney Memorial. You know, they were so blessed and excited to see this. And they said, why did you tell? I said, I just found out. How could I tell? You know, they want to get him the money to buy him a piece of land so he can have one church that's going to be huge. But nobody wants to touch the one with 1,500 people and 200 daughter churches. You know, all of these things are going on. But, you know, these are real people with real lives. And they're living a Christianity 
that God is blessed to see. You know, Jorge is the pastor of the 1,500-member church. He got threatened by a big-time official from Havana. I'm going to shut you down because you are not in compliance with code and you're not doing this. It, it was a number of fears and bad things about this big church just taking off. So Jorge said, you know, because Jorge was telling him, you can't do that because of this, because of that. He said, don't you know I have the authority to shut you down? And Jorge said, you would not have any authority unless it had been given to you from above. That's Jesus' words, but then not like Jesus. He said, what's being decided right now is whether you are a good man using the authority God gave you to do his bidding or an evil man using that authority to do the wrong thing. He said, but I want you to know, you go ahead and throw me in jail, or you go ahead and shut it down, or you do whatever you please to do, you cannot hurt me. Because it says that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord. So you just remember that. And he walked away. And life went on. <laughs> this official had another situation in his work he was adversarial with another man in that job position so one day they had a bad encounter and they ended up in a fist fight bad idea because the other man was the director of security for Havana <laughs> so he threw him in jail so he spent the better part of a month in jail and uh when he came out of jail, he went directly, not home, but to the home of my pastor friend, Jorge. And he said, I needed to see you because you said something to me that I've been hanging on to since the last time you and I talked. He said, you said that all things work together for us, that our enemies cannot touch us, and that all will work together for our good. Well, Jorge said, wait a minute. I mean, there's a slight difference between you and me. Uh, this part about those who love him, let's find out what that means. So he shared the gospel with the official, and the official received Christ as his Savior because he wants to be on the right side right now. He, he wants all things to work together for his good. So, you know, he said, I need to you know, quickly get in here, and, you know, you coach me, so I'm doing it right. So that nothing that that guy is going to do is going to hurt me. So, you know, Jorge has been tracking with him and this and that, discipling him. And then he said, you know, uh, a few days after he had received the Lord, I really did try to shut you down. I tried four different things and I could not figure them out how to see them through to shut you down. He said, but since you have been studying the Bible with me and teaching me and this and that, I have thought of five ways that I could have had you. He said, all I can think of is that God blinded me to, to what I could do. He said, but by the way, you need to reinforce those because somebody else can come and shut you down. So, you know, let's not have that. I am there literally less than a week ago with Jorge, this pastor. He was in the hospital with a double kidney infection. 
this pastor is an amazing brother. You know, he donated his house to be the training center for the 200 lay pastors for the churches that they have birthed out of their main church. And he is sleeping on the floor of his in-laws with his wife and four kids for the last two years. David Platt wrote about radical. And I feel like saying radical? You know, that pastor friend, a hundred of the church plants are being sponsored by David Platt's church in Birmingham. But my friend said, but we have leaders to plant 200, not just 100. The big American church decided 100 is plenty. You know, you probably are going to be overwhelmed by that. You know, you need to focus all of the cliches that we use. And he got back with the people in an assembly and he said, folks, we have enough leaders for 200. We know that they're ready. The other church has never set foot in Cuba, and we don't work for that church. We work for the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are going to have to sacrifice, okay? But we're going to have to launch these guys, and we're going to have to match dollar for dollar. David Platt's church has 8,000 members with an average annual income somewhere around the 75-plus mark. You know, a year, these guys, the average income is about 13 to $15 a month. And they're matching dollar for dollar that American church and planting another 100 churches. And he donated his house and sleeping on the floor for two years now and so on. And by God's grace, we have been able to come up with a plan. We're going to not only build that training center underneath, but we're going to build his house on top so he can live with his family in the house he donated. But he can have the center and so on. Well, that pastor is discipling this high-ranking official. And he asked for permission because he was in the hospital with an IV for his double kidney infection to come out and talk with us. And the doctor made him promise, you're coming right back after that meeting or I'm not going to let you out. So he said, I promise you, I'll come right back to the hospital. I'm not going to do anything else. He came out. We had the meeting. I I didn't even know where he was coming from. He told me when he got there that he was coming from the hospital, that they let him off his bed so that he could come to the meeting. And he took the liberty to also turn on his cell phone, which had been off while he was in the hospital. And as he was listening, he began to cry. I said, is everything okay? He said... You won't believe this. The official, the one that has been his adversary that tried to shut him down, that this and that, and threaten him, is now calling him in this voicemail, my brother, I hear you're in the hospital with a double kidney infection. I want you to know I have two healthy kidneys. You can have one. My brothers and sisters, 
Do you hear the victories in that song? Do you hear the glories? Do you hear the depth of love? The commitment? Do you hear the embrace in that song? God loves you just like that. And he wants a love with you just like that. That's our God. That's what he wants. Not a cliche Christianity, but a vibrant, a healthy, fruitful, God-loving Christianity. You know, I had a friend here in Scottsdale, and he had an orchard. And uh, one time I was staying with them many years ago. And he had all kinds of trees in it. Because of reading about this vineyard and how the Lord refers to it as a person, you know, I was really curious. I got out there. He was working in the yard. And the first thing that just kind of got my attention was that he said, you see this guy? He was talking about a tree. He said, this guy. I thought, this is interesting. This guy. And he said, he gives me the greatest plums you've ever tasted. I wish it were plum season because this guy gets me the greatest plums that you probably have tasted in your life. And he said, you see this other guy? Man, you should see the peaches that he puts out. This, you know, the peaches are just wonderful in this guy. This, you know, it's just a delight. And he said, we walked to another one. He said, now this guy has me confused. Tree psychology. I said, what what does he do? (laughs) He said, you see how loaded he is? And literally, I mean, this tree was loaded with peaches. He even had a wheelbarrow underneath one of the lower branches because otherwise it would touch the ground. The bugs would get up on it and chew them up and everything else. And now I'm talking the language like he was talking. You know, it's him and, you know, the poor guy and this and that. He said, I I said, "I, I don't know a thing about trees, but have you tried to maybe, because the confusion was, he's so loaded but he never brings them to ripeness. That's exactly what he, he never gets them to maturity. He's got all of these. Tremendous potential. But he always gets them half green, half ripe. And they're not good for eating. I said, you know, I don't know a thing about it. But what if you, you know, took off a bunch of peaches so that maybe the ones that are left would come to maturity? He said, I took, pile back there has 400 peaches I took off of him. Still, the others won't come to ripeness. He said, that is confusing. He said, now, look at this other guy. He showed me one. Leafy, beautiful. He says, I have yet to eat a tangerine off of this guy. And he's been there for years. He said, But he's got one year, one year. If in one year he doesn't produce, he said, out he goes. 
You see the replacement, that little guy over there? He's going to come and take his place. I said, this is too good. <laughs> this is biblical. <laughs> my brother and my sister, how does your song read? They have frustrations, near misses. Almost there, but never quite ripe. Or is it luscious? Is it fruitful? Is it something where he says, yes, this is it. This is what we needed. This is what I wanted. This is who you are, and this is who you were meant to be. Is that how it reads? Because that's what he wants. To satisfy the heart of God, we must rise to the full potential of what we are in him. We have far more than our Cuban brethren. Far more. You have flashlights, every one of you. You have cars. You, you may even have a, a second car, a motorcycle to boot. You, you have so much. Where are the fruits? It's God asking. No guilt trip. Just an honest question. What are we doing? We're partners now. We're partners with the Cubans. Let's do our best. They do so much with so little. The temptation is for us to say, well, that's a great big bang for my buck. Think of your eternity. You are expected to do your best. We are expected to do our best. And I trust in the Lord, my beloved family in Christ. We will get there. We will go, and we will see, and we'll get shoulder to shoulder with them, and we're going to be their brothers and their sisters, and God will be our God, and he will not be ashamed to call us his people. Let's pray. Our beloved Father, we thank you so much for the love and the grace and all that you've bestowed upon us, all the flashlights, all the cars, all the Bibles. Help us, we pray, to be wonderful sons of yours. Help us, O oh Lord, to have a love story in our song that talks about warm embrace, about a wonderful deep love, about obedience, about fruitfulness, about victory, about glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.